0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Gateway, brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business, where your future is without boundaries and our approach is two. I'm joined, as always, with my incredible co-host, Dr. Biagio Palese. Hello, Biagio! Ciao tutti, and thank you for Poliana to be with us. So this is going to be a fun one for sure. Now, today's episode, Brewing a Supply Chain, the Business of Dogma Beer, we will explore the creative and unique industry of craft brewing and distilling. From the initial ingredients to the fermentation process, all the way through distributing the final product to local pubs and store shelves, there is a universe of logistics to be determined before it is ever. Poured into a glass. To help us examine every facet of running a brewery, the Gateway is proud to welcome Pollyanna Brewing and Distilling. Pollyanna provides its customers with an intimate experience that goes beyond what's in the glass. By sharing their knowledge and advancing the culture of craft beer and craft spirits, the Pollyanna brand focuses on creating a relationship between customers and the brewery, brewer, distiller, and local community. As an integral part of the communities, Pollyanna does business in. They strive to work in cooperation with local organizations to benefit the community as a whole. So I am incredibly excited to welcome Pollyanna Brewing. So um, everyone from Pollyanna, Ryan, how about we start with you? Go around, introduce yourselves, and then we'll get the conversation started.
1: Yeah, thank you for that wonderful introduction, Russ. Uh, Ryan Widener, uh, co-founder and president of Pollyanna Brewing Company, um, NIU alum, both uh, undergrad and uh, master's graduate as well, so double alum.
2: Hey, I'm Brian Pavola, also co-founder of Pollyanna Brewing. Uh, I'm the head brewer, head of marketing, head of all the, basically the other stuff that Ed and Ryan aren't in charge of. So. Uh, did not graduate from NIU, but I'm from the area, so pretty familiar with the campus.
0: We'll, we'll take it, anyway. it; it works for us. <laughs> and then Ed.
3: <laughs> yeah, hi. I'm I'm Ed Melner. I'm uh, the uh, one of the co-founders, uh, Vice President of Operations, Head Distiller at Pollyanna Brewing Distilling. Um, I took some uh, postgraduate work classes at NIU. Um, so I, I, I like to, to uh, I, I appreciate uh, being able to have that connection with all of you in some way at the very least. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, you know, just one of the team and the three of us, you know, we're all just trying to make it work together.
0: Perfect. So I want to start kind of at the beginning. I think that's always a good place um, for, for all of you. Uh, how? How did Pollyanna Brewing begin? Because I feel like a lot of people sit around a table at some point and think about opening a bar or starting a craft brew or saying, hey, this is good. How do you actually take that from maybe having one too many to actually making it a legitimate business and a brand and and something that people enjoy?
1: This is always between Ed and I to answer this question. So I'll start because I like this. I like to talk, so yeah. It was really, I mean, in a simplest way, it was an entrepreneurial spirit um, and a love for the love for the craft beer industry that brought us together. I mean, you can see just on this call, you know, it's clear clear that we didn't grow up together. We came, we, we the three of us came from very different walks of life. Ed's background in architecture and operation management. Brian uh, with an IT background um, and a a, a professional uh, or a master's brewing uh degree and then me with a really an accounting and finance background and we all kind of came together in 2012 2013 through uh, different avenues uh a common introduction between ed and i and then uh, we found brian uh fortunately as he was uh returning from germany after uh, going through brew school and really the rest was history so we incorporated the company in 2013 and uh opened our doors in september of 14 and uh uh, started in our flagship location down in Lamont, uh, which was always just gonna be the home of, home of Pollyanna. And we were built a big system and we were gonna you know, serve some beer in our tap room and hope to distribute throughout the state and maybe beyond. And that was kind of our bigger plan. And then uh, you know, uh, things just kind of took off for us. And uh, we sit here today with three locations, uh, Lamont, Roselle, St. Charles, a fourth under construction, a full brewery program, a full distilling program, and uh, it's been a fun ride because none of that was part of the original plan.
0: Well, I love, I love that entrepreneurial spirit and finding something that you're passionate about. I know within our students and the people that, that we talk with at these events, it, almost everyone comes to business knowing that there's something that they're passionate about and wanting to be able to do that stuff. So for I, I, wanna, I wanna pivot to Ed real fast with, with that master brewer and, and kind of how do you even go about that process?
3: Well, if you, if you want to talk about uh, being a master brewer, that would be
0: Brian. Oh, I'm, so, distiller.
3: I'm
0: Okay. So I'll just hand well, it off to Brian. Okay. Yeah. I'll do Brian. And then I do want to know just like, I want to know kind of those two different processes, what the difference is, how you go about that stuff. Because, you know, I, I don't think it's a, a standard education as in like going and getting a bachelor's degree in business. So I'm very interested for both of you. So yeah, Brian, jump in.
2: Sure. So um, I actually did get my undergrad in, with a marketing degree. So. Okay, cool. I always kind of knew that the entrepreneurial path was going to be my future, um, but it wasn't going to be in healthcare software. Uh, so after doing that for a few years, um, I just kind of figured that I was young and the time was right to do what I was passionate about and go after it. So I went to a, a, a brewing school based out of Germany and Chicago and kind of Used definitely used a lot of the marketing background that I had uh, to start Pollyanna with Ryan and Ed, and still use a lot of it today. So, how do you go from healthcare IT to to beer? I, I don't I don't know if there's necessarily like a direct path. I think it's just maybe a doctor or nurse drives you crazy once too many times, and you just say that's I've had enough of this, and just go after what you love. And you just gotta you gotta put it all out there and and commit a hundred percent.
0: Ed, if you want to kind of talk about distilling and, and how you went into that process.
3: Yeah, um, well, it's a long and, and curvy road, you know, I, uh, you know, I, start, I uh, got my degree in architecture and I practiced architecture for about 30 years, um, but towards the end of all that, I started getting involved into homebrewing and learning about the process of, of brewing beer and, and talking to other people. Particularly, people in the industry, which is always the best place to get your uh, your, your real uh, real world information from. Um, and so I, I just tried to mimic, you know, that the the, uh, the commercial process on my small system at home. Um, you know, in the uh, late to early 2000s, um, architecture wasn't so good. So I, I ended up losing my job because, uh, you know. The company wasn't getting paid and they couldn't pay me anymore. So I had to figure out something else to do. And one of the things I did was help start a homebrew club. Uh, and one of the reasons I did that is because I, I saw a really good networking opportunity. If I was to create the, help create this club, I was going to be connected with a lot of people from different uh, backgrounds. And that could help potentially help figure, me figure out you know, what it was I was going to do. Uh, to make a living after all of that, so um, through all that, that's uh, to make a long story short, that's how I met Ryan, that's how I met Brian, um, and we started up Pollyanna Brewing Company back in 2013, and um, you know, just we were, we were just growing the company and we were kind of expanding it, and uh, we found this great location in St. Charles that we wanted to do something at, and then I suggested uh, maybe we do a distillery. Distillery was always kind of in the back of our minds, like we might do it someday, but it seemed like a good opportunity and for the time to do it. So um, that meant I committed myself to learning as much as I could about distilling. I, neither Brian or I had ever distilled a single drop in our lives prior to you know, us thinking of, about doing this. So I just had to immerse myself in the, in, in the entire culture and, and talk again, talk to many, as many people in the industry as I could about distilling and, uh, you know, hopefully get some guidance from them, which I did. I got some real excellent guidance and uh, and as much education as I could in an informal way. Probably the most formal in, in uh, education I had was uh, a five-day course at Cobalt Distillery in the city. The rest of it was just pretty much picked up by any means that I could. Internet research, reading books, uh, talking to people in the industry, um, Going to trade shows and talking to equipment manufacturers and things like that. So that's, that's, that's how I got to where I am right now. (laughs) I, I'm, yeah, I kind of, I kind of want
4: to ask them a question because because you know, it's. Uh, I think they already highlighted a couple of points that are important, like networking and you know keep pushing, even if it's not your the start of the journey. Is the end of the journey, right? Uh, what Brian was saying before. Uh, I'm curious. I'm, I'm from Italy. I'm more an expert how how wine is produced, not how beer is produced. I know I like beer, but uh, I'm curious. Um, like in terms of the logistic of you know the buying the machines and stuff like that. Is that an expensive cost of front? How did you guys went to like purchasing them and actually starting this company? Um, if you guys can share something with
3: us. Yeah, I guess I can start with, with some of that. Um, you know, the the, the, the hardest part is, is figuring out what it is you need because like when it comes to distilling equipment, there's all different sizes, there's all different configurations, uh, there's a huge variety out there. I think it's even a little bit more diverse than brewing equipment to some extent. But you know, you had to figure out what what it was that you're going to need, um, what's going to fit within your space, uh, is that going to make a good combination for you to, you know, earn earn uh, or pay for the equipment, have a good return on your investment. Um, you know, and and you're just talking with people as much as you can to learn about the equipment. Um, And, and there are wide ranges in terms of, you know, what you can pay for various equipment, you know, there's a lot of manufacturers out there. Um, We, I would say what we ended up with going with is kind of a middle of the road in terms of the overall expense and, and quality, quality is good. The expense was reasonable. We easily could have paid three times as much for a similar still. Um, But you just got to kind of do your research and find out, you know, talk again, as many manufacturers as you can. Other distillers, you know, ask them about what they use, what their experiences are with manufacturers and so on. Uh, When it comes down to the numbers, you know, Ryan's our our numbers guy in terms of, uh, you know, doing all the projections and 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 figuring out what it was going to take for us to to make this a uh, viable operation here so that's that's kind of basically that's where it all generally started
0: so so i want to i want to talk about the 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 industry within craft brewing and and distilling and all of that stuff when i um let's say when I had my first beer, it was um, definitely a very high quality, you know, one of those that had, no, it was the random bush that everyone knows and all that stuff there. Over the past 10 years, the amount of different products out there, whether it's spirits, whether it's beers, whether it's all is, is truly amazing and, and almost overwhelming. So when when I think about that stuff, and I, when I think of Pollyanna Brewing, I, I find it very impressive that you all were able to come into an industry that um, I think there's competition, and it's it's not exactly a, a you know a, an open market that that you're filling an untapped kind of need so how did you all differentiate yourself within marketing how did you actually make it so that people knew or at least were able to get on the shelves what was that whole experience like
1: yeah I'll start off with that you know so when we just to give some context because we've all seen this craft beer revolution kind of unfold in front of us so we we got our license at the federal level in early 2014, and at that time, we were brewery about 3,000 in the United States, and brewery like 75 in Illinois. Kind of fast forward till today, uh, there's almost 9,000 breweries in the United States now. That's that's not only that's not even eight. That's just eight years later, uh, we've tripled our numbers of breweries, and there's over 300 in Illinois. So Illinois has been one of the fastest growing states in the country. And crab beer was big out east, and crab beer was big out west in the 90s and early 2000s, but it really did not take off here in the Midwest until, uh, and certainly in Illinois, I think Michigan and Wisconsin had some traction, but uh, we had not right in about about that time. So I kind of made comments early on, like, you know, we could almost accidentally, uh, you can almost accidentally make money in craft beer back in 2013 and 14 in Chicago, because really demand exceeded supply. I mean, there, there was a half of a shelf at the binnies you know, at each of the binnies stores of craft local craft beer. And now there's four full shelves, right? Um, there was eight tap handles at every bar and now there's 64. I mean, the, the proliferation yeah. of all the product really took off. So, so really for us, when and Russ, you read it well in, in the intro, um, we knew early on, it wasn't really, you know, the, the beer, the, the entry point is to make good quality, consistent craft beer. But our differentiator was always going to be our story. Um, it was always gonna be the other parts of our mission statement, which really taught, you know, really keys in on providing exceptional customer experience. And you you touched on that in, in our intro. And then good being good stewards of the communities that we do business in. So some of our differentiation was community outreach, it was becoming kind of like what Germany has been. So Germany you know, historically has, you know, they have thousands of breweries per capita, many, many more than the US, um, but it's kind of a communal thing. And we've always been very passionate about obviously dialing in the product. You know, that's number one, you can't really do this, run a brewery without having a consistent relevant pro, uh, product. Uh, and then just being, you know, being uh, available and, and sessionable to everybody. You know, we started, We're not, uh, we started the brewery without a a traditional IPA, which was, you know, sacrilege back then. Um, And even if you look eight years later, you know, Brian and Ed, you know, we brewed 11 uh, award-winning, national award-winning beers. And, you know, five of them have been lagers, beer-flavored beer. beer. How about, how about that? So really dialing (laughs) in on on, uh, things that are outside the norm and outside the trends and just, uh, just drinking things and making things that we like to drink. So I'm sure Brian and Ed can add on to that as well.
2: Well, a lot of what's differenti- differentiates yourself at the beginning is establishing your brand and sticking to it. So, you know, you you kind of start with the ability to be adaptable, but as you go, you need to learn how to adapt the correct way. So you know, We could have just gone in a lot of different directions and not listened to what our customers wanted. We could have just listened to what we thought everyone wanted. But if you take good feedback from everybody around you, you can kind of dictate the brand building based on your customer. So Pollyanna is not what we thought it was going to be eight years ago, It's, but it is what it is now. Um, so I think a lot of other brands that we compete with have not necessarily done that so they you know they've kind of stuck to their guns and they do what they do so they have they have their loyal followings but they don't have the ability to really connect with just about everybody out there so that's something that we've really done well um and i think that's just a great example of what a brand should be
4: that i mean brian that's a great point i think like i wouldn't think that much about the relevance of data collection and data analytics for like a beer but but you're making an important point what kind of tips would you have for somebody like opening a business what is the best way to outreach and get feedback from customer if you are starting off uh, a new company
2: sure so w- with beer it's easy um, i mean you can just literally talk to somebody as they're tasting your product um, you can get their general you know mostly an honest opinion if you ask for it in the right way. So, you know, with, with beer and spirits, it's pretty simple. Um, now, if you're you're distributing to somebody like a Binnie's or a Jewelosco, you're maybe not necessarily getting the feedback, the direct feedback from them, but the more data that you collect, uh, you can kind of analyze what those numbers do. So you can see what type of beer is selling at what point How much of it's selling is it a price thing is it a flavor thing like i mean there's so much that goes into a sale of a beer but for us you know we can have more of a direct conversation with our consumer because we are literally handing them the beer across the bar so there's there's a lot of things that you can do so there's you know that's kind of two different data points but um, it's important to collect data and analyze what you're actually selling so just because you think something's going to sell you know look at where is it selling look at the customer get as much information about them as you can i mean collect that you know data 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 is it's it's important so you don't a lot of people in beer don't think about it but you know a a good example is one of the first beers we made which was a beer i did not want to make it was a pink (laughs) wheat beer we it's named summerly and right now eight years later it's our best-selling beer So, you know, eight years ago, you wouldn't have asked me, or if you would have asked me, what will you be your best selling beer, I never would have said a raspberry wheat beer, but, you know, here we are and pink beer rules our world. So, um, but that was something we noticed early on, which was people actually want this. They're telling us across the bar that this is valuable to them and they will come back for it, but they're also buying it in droves at grocery stores. So like, I mean, that was an easy thing to analyze, but, um, it's just using all that data that's available to, to to determine where your brand goes.
4: So a combination of like qualitative data, real time data that you have like on the store where you're selling it and quantitative data about, you know, those stores that sells your beer. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I, and you were trained in Germany, so I, I don't think they have pink beers over there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> There's not a lot of pink beer over in Germany. So um, hence why I didn't think that, that was going to be one of our main selling beers, but here we are.
0: So I want to talk about the the transition when you, you, Brian, you brought up those two different experiences, the one where you're handing a beer to someone and they're staying there and you get to experience that versus the, the more commerce, someone actually searching, seeing the outside and then just picking it and there's no interaction. Was that, was that difficult for you all? It, it almost kind of feels like you're sending like you you're, your child out there and you just have to see how it's experienced instead of being able to define it to them and kind of educate them. Was that, was there a difficulty or, or was that just, I don't know, what was that like?
2: Sure. Yeah. There's difficulty there. I mean, there's difficulty in expanding production and, you know, expanding distribution. It's easy to make a little bit of beer and talk about it and hand it across the bar to somebody. But as soon as you're making 10, 20 times that amount and then trying to sell it in a, 16 ounce can to somebody at jewel Osco. it's a, it's a different game um it's uh but like i was saying there's you know it's a different experience so how do you gather that information it's and how does that build the brand it's 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 a different approach so but a lot of it starts at our tap room and that's what ryan was saying with our mission statement is creating the exceptional customer experience being a great neighbor that's where the brand starts so It's not just the three of us business partners that are just defining the Pollyanna brand, but it's our our employees, it's our friends and family that represent us every day. So it's all about building the brand from within. And that stuff, it resonates outside of our tap rooms too. So people go to Pollyanna and they have a great experience. Next time they're at Jewel Asco, they might see that and say like, hey, I had a really good time there three or four months ago. It doesn't matter how long it was, but that's just kind of like the slow brand growth that we've been able to, to do with that. It was not an overnight thing, um, that's for sure, because it's, it's, it's difficult to try to convince somebody that's never heard of you to buy your beer. Yeah. Um, so it takes a lot more than just a, a really catchy logo or a catchy label. Um, the experience is probably is what defines our brand and what really sells it more so than what the cans look like.
0: That that's very interesting to hear. Now, one of uh, one of our listeners asked a a very interesting question, and it goes a little bit more into the technical side of things. But uh, f- for you all, if you're brewing multiple different types, so ales, stouts, things like that, do you need different actual um, like machinery and and and, and tools to do that? Or can you can you use the same overall kind of infrastructure to shift to different styles of, of beer?
2: Sure. So we can make anything on our system. So everything is made on the same set of tools. Um, the one thing that is trending nowadays that may be a little different is uh, non-alcoholic beer or low alcohol beers. Um, there's your technology starting to catch up, but um, traditionally you were not able to do that on what we do now. But um, other than that, every other beer style, any spirit we can do on our, our, our setup now.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Um, Again, another question coming in from our people. What is, uh, what, what are all of your favorite beers? Um, Yeah. Styles or, or actual brand, like anything, go for it.
1: Yeah, and I, I already typed it in there, but you would think a country kid, you know, growing up on Rolling Rock, I wouldn't, you know, ever find my way into West Coast IPAs. But yeah, the more hopper, the hoppy, the more bitter for me, the better. So I'm an IPA guy.
3: I would say uh, any of Brian's traditional German lagers any day for me.
2: Yeah, usually a, a German lager or a, a Hefeweizen. So a nice, a nice heavy wheat beer for sure
0: uh now i want to i want to ask this question as you're you're kind of uh doing this for your for your actual career do you still enjoy drinking beer are you or are you like hey i'm done like or i better be doing spirits today because i'm over this stuff like do you have that experience or is it still kind of enjoyable
3: well maybe i'll maybe i'll jump in it's uh you know since i got into homebrewing like 20 years ago uh the industry has changed, my tastes have changed. Um, I still enjoy having a really well-executed beer. Um, I don't drink as much as I used to. That's probably- Recording in progress. Um, but, you know, for me, it, it, typically when I have something to drink, it's the most uh, the most enjoyable time is at the end of a workday here in St. Charles, and to be able to go out to the bar and and have one of our beers or maybe have one of our um, our old fashions um, or any of our cocktails, just to be able to sit down and you know, be in the space with the customers. Maybe I get to meet somebody new that day, you know. Um, that's that's what I enjoy the most. And it's it's not, it's really got nothing to do with volume. It has everything to do with the quality of the beverage and the atmosphere that I'm consuming it in.
0: And I really enjoyed that. That kind of I, I think a lot of times people think of there. There may be a negative connotation with with alcohol, and 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 there truly are. I mean, we, I think if we think about it, there are ways that that can go in. But the way you just said that shifted it to something of like an experience and more of a communal thing rather than just how much can I consume and and where can I get. So thank you for for sharing that one, Brian. I, I think I cut you off. Were you going to say something?
2: <laughs> oh yeah, I just you know eight ten years later still just as fun as it was before it's a it's a different type of fun now it's uh you know since there's a lot more than just me making beer these days so it's it's really nice to see like the people around me have success and um being able to create stuff on their own as well and just being a part of that story is pretty awesome
0: so yeah. I'm going to jump right onto that one real fast, Ryan. And, and then I'll let you jump when you all I, I want to know the the uh, about the creative process of that stuff. So you have, how do you go about that? Is that the same as creating a piece of music or art or something like that? How do you kind of brainstorm that? Or is it more a recipe decision? What does that look like for you all? And Ryan, if you want to uh, jump into before that, go ahead. Nope.
2: Oh. So yeah, so designing a beer is uh you know, after doing it for so long, it's, it's not that hard anymore, but a lot goes into it more than just, well, I want to have a beer. It's uh, you know, it's the time of the year, it's the price, it's the, you know, the availability of raw materials. It's, you know, can we sell this outside the tap rooms? How much do I have to talk to somebody about like what the ingredients are? Do, do I have to convince somebody to drink this? So it's, it's more than just, well, I feel like making an IPA next week, even though those will sell anytime, but Um, you know, if you really want to challenge yourself with like an odd style or something, it's kind of has to just fit into the time of year and the price point too, especially
0: that that I I relate very similar to kind of like a restaurant or a chef almost thinking about seasonality and, and and all of that stuff. So thank you for, for sharing that one too. Uh, Um, a long, all of those those lines. I I keep on hearing a lot about the relationships you all have with the community with with those things. There, how did you go about establishing some of those? Maybe with like your um, distributors, whether it's Benny's Jewels thing like that. How did you you get into that process, and what was that like?
1: Yeah. It really from distribution standpoint, it's the, the rules in, in alcohol distribution are really tricky in the state of Illinois, um, even more so than most. So it, it's a real, um, it's a real strategic decision early on. In most industries, you know, manufacturer sells to distributor, sells to a retailer. And if there's issues between manufacturer and distributor, you just find another distributor. And, and in alcohol business, it's not that way. They have uh there's a lot of legislation that protects them and protects the relationship they have what they call franchise rights to your brand basically they have an investment they're making an investment in your brand just like you are so um in short really i mean we decided early on we built a big system down in lamont when we opened the the brewing business and uh you know we needed someone to sell it we could self-distribute we could go call on customers and drive the beer there and pick the kegs up. there was only a few of us back then and we didn't know how the heck we were going to accomplish all that. So uh, we did find a a great partner, a great distributor um, that has um, distribution rights to 98% of the state of Illinois um, in Heartland Beverage. Uh, They're independent. So in the, in the distribution world, it's, you know, it's, you got like bud distributors and Miller distributors and then independent distributors. So anyways, that was a, you know, that's a, that's a contractual agreement. That's a business arrangement. And uh, Mm -hmm. uh, we made that decision day one. Um, So that's been a real, uh, real favorable um, partnership for us. So that was on the business side. Everything else was a little bit more just being authentic and genuine. you know, less the, the, you know, we probably get at some point into talking about the Dogma brand and the, the relationship with NIU, but we have a lot of those types of relationships. We have it with the Boom, Schomburg Boomers Baseball Club. You know, we do a co-branded beer out there. Uh, we're working, we have one down at Cog Hill. We have Rich Harvest Farms. We're working on one of the museums. Um, just that partnership of really um, bringing our product and a branding element to them and, you know, something that they find cool to their uh, customer base. So it's just, it's just, you um, uh, we're, we're pretty obsessive about communication, respond, being responsive. Um, every, di- every day, I'm sure both of all of us get two, 300 emails. There's not a day that goes by that we don't respond to those emails that day. And we do it again the next day, and our employees do the same. So, just being responsive, it's being authentic and genuine, and just understanding what you want to try to accomplish. You do have to say no. Uh, we're at the point at this point that we can't say yes to everything. But uh, so you do pick your you, you pick your uh, paths to kind of run with. But uh, yeah, hasn't steered us wrong yet. So.
4: Well- Ross, I have a quick question for them because probably you guys said it earlier, but I missed that point. Do you guys only sell in, in Illinois or do you guys distribute all over the U.S.? And if so, what are the differences in your approach to go to a different state or even like international, if you thought about it? Uh, yeah,
1: just Illinois right now. Um, Our systems are large enough to to go outside the walls of Illinois, but if we try to stay true to everything we're trying to do, which is to make sure we're, you know, connecting to our customer and building a relationship with our customer and uh, it's hard to do that when you get outside the walls of your state where you have a little less control of that. So, um, there's a lot of people here, 9.2 million people that live in Northern Illinois. So we haven't quite, uh, we haven't gotten to all of them yet. So we'll, uh, we'll hit them <laughs> up and then, we'll, and then we'll go outside the walls, but it won't be, it's not beyond us to consider that. Um, but yeah, right now it's, uh, we're trying to, trying to keep the, the store shelves full in Illinois right now, so.
4: I, I have a funny story about, about beers and go beyond the, uh, you know, your boundaries because uh, I don't know if you guys know, Peroni is an Italian brand, right? Uh, and, and in Italy is considered like the cheapest, like right? the one that people drink like when they can only, uh, uh, you know, afford that. And I was in the UK and, and they say that was the most expensive one because they associate that beer with Italian lifestyles. And when people were drinking it, were like, imagine themselves on a Vespa around the Colosseum and stuff like that. <laughs> so it was like, maybe, maybe sometimes we, we, we think about it's going to be more difficult to reach Customer outside, but maybe there is strength in that and, and possibility in that. So, so, something to think about. Yeah, it's really
1: interesting. It's beyond the liquid, right? I mean, we romanticize craft beer all the or beer all the time. So, I mean, we 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 live in that world. But yeah, to think that there is more to um, the liquid than you're drinking, the connection and the the, the thoughts that it that it resonates. It's interesting.
0: Uh, Ryan, you mentioned Miller and and Anheuser, but all that stuff is, is that still, is there any type of relationship you have with them? Because I think at least within beer, there, there are those Goliath companies there. Does that impact your business in any way? Or is it a completely different group of, of customers?
1: Yeah, I would probably say the latter, Russ, Uh, doesn't really impact our, I mean, collectively as 8,000, you know, small craft breweries in the country, I think we're moving the needle. I mean, Bud and Miller merged, they've been beating each other up for 125 years and they merged 50 years ago. So it does, it does indicate that, you know, we're we're move us little guys are moving the needle, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it really plays in our space. I mean, again, that's, you know, from a liquid standpoint, yes, we make, liquid they make liquid but again um there's so much more to to what we offer in our world like the the experience and the branding element to it so i'd, I'd say yeah we don't we don't necessarily compete uh with with big beer
0: got it. now as you you all have have become truly i, I would define as very successful as well as as uh, experienced within this industry looking back and, and where you are now are there any Misconceptions you had, or or surprises that that maybe you thought were, were going to be one way and different, or anything that was maybe mis- misleading to you, anything like that.
2: Well, I can, you know, for me personally, it, it doesn't really have anything to do with the business side of things, but I've, I did romanticize beer a lot, so you know, I went to school to be a brewer, so coming back and then facing the reality of like, well, you know, this is an art and this is fun, but this is also a business. It was a, mm. it was a shock, even though I, I was ready for it because I knew what I was getting into, but the, the day-to-day mundane stuff of running a business is uh, you, you don't necessarily think of that when you're, you're pounding a half liter in a beer garden in Germany. So it's, uh, it's a, it's a rude awakening. As soon as, you know, you, you start worrying about payroll and, you know, Keeping the lights on every every day takes the fun out of it, but not so much.
1: Yeah. But for me, I'd say one one interesting kind of a phenomenon we saw. We ended up in Lamont in 2014 because it was really not near any other brewery. I mean, there was it was 11 miles to one to the west and 10 miles to one to the east, and we were in a nice Mm -hmm. position. And as we've seen, you know, 10 or 15 other breweries kind of fill in in that southwest suburb corridor there. And then, as we move to Roselle and see breweries move in there, and then St. Charles, I don't think there's a town in the suburbs that have. And Amon uh, had asked about Alter Brewing. Uh, I don't think there's a, a, a suburb, a suburban town that has more breweries in St. Charles now. And one would think that that would be a, a threat and would not uh, would would take away from the business. But uh, you know, all we found is it really you know the culture of craft beer. Um, you know, it's kind of like in in St. Charles, it's a perfect example. Like we, I I always explain it that we're not really competing against each other. We're not really, um, you know, we're sharing customers, you know, customers come out to say the Fox Valley, and they might go to several breweries, they have, you know, the experience of it isn't to sit there and drink beer for four or five out craft beer for four or five hours, it's kind of, it's to, to experience it, and then maybe go to the next one and experience that. And that's our habits, too. I mean, I like to go to several breweries, you know, try one beer and go to the next. So yeah, I, I think for me, uh, thinking that that was going to be more competitive, and seeing that it's more, I want to call it collaborative, but um, it only, it's kind of that rising tide rises all ships and we've really seen that in the communities that we're in.
3: Yeah, I would, I would say for me, um, you know, it, it's been really cool being part of a, a business to and to be a key player in growing a business, developing, uh, developing a business and growing it. Um, mm-hmm you know, I'd always worked for small businesses. So I had some kind of idea what, what it was going to be like. Um, But, you know, when it's your business, it's, it's like, it's like having another child. So you have to do whatever it takes to keep, you know, keep the gears turning. And so in my case, you know, I was in a, in a little bit of a way, like Brian It's like, I kind of fantasized about, you know, Hey, we're just going to be brewing a bunch of beer, you know, we're going to be down there and, and, and collaborating and, and coming up with some really uh, innovative beers and experimenting. But the bottom line is, uh, you know, the company also needed, in my case, an operations guy. I mean, there was a lot of other things beyond the beer operation, which, which was big enough and, and, and new enough to manage already. But there are other things associated with the business, uh, keeping the, uh, you know, keeping the building in repair. I mean, uh, you know, it's just, and, and, you know, coordinating deliveries and, and, you know, placing orders and logistics and things like that, that, uh, you know, I didn't think I'd be doing so much of that, but it turned out to be that's the majority of what I was doing. And that's, that's what had to happen. And, and you know, I had to do my part in, in moving the business along and, and keeping things going. So, um, yeah, I mean. I guess it was a bit of a misconception, but you know i I feel pretty good about you know that we all did it, this thing together. you know, everybody uh played their part in in uh building this business, and, and we're still doing it and keeping keeping it going so yeah, but you know, at the end of the day, there's always a beer and a cocktail,
0: you know. which always makes it better uh during the past couple of years we all as as a world uh have have experienced some things I I don't think many people really could ever have fathomed and and I think small businesses and and businesses uh that that come from that entrepreneurial spirit had to deal with that um to, to many uh to many losses almost did did COVID and those things impact you all I will say that the craft breweries saved my life many of times during COVID when I could like pull up and they would walk it out to me and I would be like this is amazing did did you all have to adjust it and pivot what what was it like getting your your resources to actually make this stuff to, or, or was it pretty smooth sailing and life was great
1: well, no, <laughs> not those first 11 weeks at least, but no, I mean, overall looking back, yes, and we did pivot, but I mean, listen, so we went into this, what, mid-March. So, you know, beer is seasonal in a way. Um, uh, you get through the holidays and it, it's kind of dry January and then recovery February and then St. Patty's Day comes and people are finally drinking beer again. So we see about 10, eight or 10 weeks of, of downtime and it was literally that week that we had really, I mean, and you just don't push a button and the beer is ready. We had really started cranking volume like early February to kick off the busy season as we call it. And, and, you know, kegs were filled and they were on trucks and, and, you know, for 11 weeks, every bar and restaurant in the state, I mean, our, our distribution business went, I mean, we dropped off 96%, keg business dropped off 96% in 2020. And it, uh, you know, that's a major vessel for us to move product and, uh, so yeah we we struggled but to that we pivoted really quick we had we had uh, um, it's good to have Brian has uh, uh, mastered many things and his his IT expertise really helped us as well we went to an online uh, uh, basically overnight went to an online uh, retail outlet i mean our POS system allowed it we turned on a lot of levers I remember there was still a you know that first 11 weeks from uh, March night 16th to Mar- may 29th Um uh was challenging but there was a Friday in April I think we released some earlier it was a big beer release we still have and we were only open three hours at three locations and we did do the curbside to your point Russ but um we still have had we've not had a bigger Friday in April than we did that during that Friday so it's really we had a lot of support I think it really showed us that we had what what kind of support we had internal because there was a lot of options too but we um yeah, it was humbling to see. And then, you know, we went into it with 44 employees. Uh, we came out of that rough, that rough stretch uh, with uh, 45 employees. <laughs> we hired uh, wow. a social media expert or uh, assistant uh, to really start pumping, you know, pumping, uh, you know, the, the channels to really promote. And uh, the summer was busy, winter fell off. And uh, yeah, so it's a long drawn out response to your question. But uh, yeah, overall, it's, a, it, it affected us for sure. But, you know, we were able to. We were able to navigate it. Uh, we survived. We have sixty some employees today. So we've been, uh, you know, we've been in opportunistic mode coming out of it, and I and we hope that. And we built out the distillery during COVID actually. So it, we paused uh, about a year for us to build it out. So that, that actually, uh, we're optimists at Pollyanna, So. That is, that is
0: truly something you all should be proud of, and I and I know that that wasn't easy. So uh, again, give yourselves a, a big pat on the back for all of that stuff. Now, um, I do want to pivot. I, we're we're kind of getting close on time here, but I do want to talk about uh, dogma, <laughs> dogma beer, and and what that that partnership is with with NIU and and our Huskies. So can you uh, kind of tell us the tale of of what that was, how that came about, and what what really brought you all to that?
1: Yeah, I had, um, you know, post graduation or post my MBA, I had stayed involved in the Alumni Association um, over the years. Not, never do an extensive amount, but it's uh, kept in conversation. It was a meeting that we sat down with the Alumni Association, just talking about. Uh, I think we were hosting an event at one of our locations for alum, and uh, it just came out of it in a discussion about doing a collab beer. LSU was doing a cool one down in the Bayou, and they they were kind of wanting to replicate this. You know there's 120 some thousand alumni in the chicagoland area it overlapped our footprint of breweries really well so it was really the brainchild of the alumni association and um you know i was coming up with a sessionable beer uh you know traditional kolsch that is you know uh not offensive and uh it can be enjoyable by all if you're a craft person or not and uh yeah it was really uh we launched it in i'm losing track 2018 i believe at the at the opening football game and. Uh, Yeah, today we're, you know, it's, it's nearly a year round beer. Uh, It's in that, uh, you know, I lose track of how many places it's in at, but uh, probably 40 or 50 different, um, you know, uh, liquor stores or grocery stores and uh, it's on tap throughout the Chicago and suburbs. Someone did ask before if we distribute into Kelb. Fatties finally has it on tap. That was my biggest victory trying to get fatties to carry dogma. So they got it. Um, and then High V Meyer, Target, Jewel, all of them have, uh, in DeKalb, i carry it now, too. So, yeah, it's been a real, it's been a fun project. Um, part of the proceeds go back to the Alumni Association that we, uh, so it's a collaborative effort. And, uh, yeah, it was really, for us, it was exciting for me, obviously, personally. It allowed me to, you know, attach to my, uh, my alma mater um, it allowed, uh, you know, the marketing power of NIU with, uh, the girth that they have to promote, uh, us. So in a, you know, in a collaborative way, we could get our brand out there. And, uh, I would say we're probably hitting as much of the stride right now, as we've seen, I mean, it was going strong pre-COVID then it kind of halted, but, uh, yeah, it's coming back and, you know, we should have it. We're gonna have it at the football stadium. It's at the convocation center. It's at the Husky Den. <clears throat> so stay tuned. We're going to continue to get, uh, kelp domination with dogma is my, my goal.
0: I like that I like I like the alliteration too. So um as as we're thinking about kind of the future within all this stuff and, and we have a wonderfully large group of, of future professionals here listening. Um, if, if you could give any of them tips of getting involved in the industry or skills that, that you think are, are important. Um, any just general tips or kind of advice that you would have, I think from all three of you would be, would be very beneficial.
1: Hmm. (laughs) I would definitely say, um, networking is critical. You heard that early on. Um, on my side, a little less critical, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I, I think the branding element, really, if you're going into this industry, just really be cognizant of of how you're going to go to market. And really, the beer probably these days doesn't differentiate enough. It's going to be the way you, you talk about yourselves and promote yourselves. And it, it's a lot of work. So I would say don't underestimate the amount of work you're going to put into the branding side of it. I
2: think for me, it's don't be afraid to put yourself out there. So, you know, I always growing up i was a fairly shy person and i didn't want to network but you have to do that in business so you have to learn to talk to people and i mean that's what the college experience is great for you you know part of the best thing about college isn't the education it's the, the ability to learn how to talk to people so it's you know challenging yourself to start a discussion with someone who maybe you wouldn't normally have done because you're afraid or you're shy but and that's extra important because everybody wants to talk about your beer and your brand. And if you can't talk about it or talk to that person back, you know, you may have lost a customer, but it's also just be willing to take the risk. You know, I was, uh, you know, I did software I- or healthcare IT and you know, the money was great, but I was basically quitting that to be a glorified janitor and, you know, you know, go into beer and brewing and business for no you know no guaranteed amount of money and uh you just got to have to take that risk and if you think it's the right move and you know you can do it just go for it
3: yeah i'm gonna i'm just gonna say it again yeah networking for sure um you know talk to as many people as you can um, uh, i mean that that i mean the, the perfect example for me was when i did lose my architectural job and I had to, I joined a bunch of groups of, of, you know, work, people looking for work, you know, we're a lot of us out of work and we learned from other people um, how to make connections and and how to talk to people to to Ryan's point, you know, to actually sit down and ask valid questions. you know and I'll, like i said before if if there is an industry that you are interested in try to find a connection to somebody in that industry In that industry and you don't know where that's going to lead the more connections you have the more that's networking right the, the more opportunities you have to further your knowledge um and then it's it's selling right you probably all heard it before we're all selling something. We have to sell ourselves in order to get a job. We have to sell our ideas and our concepts. So, you know, learn how to sell. Um, you don't have to be a salesperson per se as a profession, but you have to learn how to sell. Uh, and that's something I learned even when I was uh, an architect, right? I had, to, I had to design something and and I had to sit down with a client and sell my idea. And they may not have been fully on board with it, but you know, eventually you had to convince them or, you know, make a really good argument for your idea. So uh, that's, that's kind of the way I see it, right? And, and then just do old-fashioned hard work, right? Hopefully we're all pretty good at that. Just putting our nose to the grindstones and, and grinding stuff out and getting work done too.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you all so much for, for that, that bit of advice. Um, I, I do want to ask one more question before we go. But uh, what is something for Pollyanna that, that maybe you would, you would like to be doing um, that you haven't been able to yet? Or kind of where's the future of Pollyanna going? Because uh, I, I feel like as optimists within this industry, you definitely continue to, to grow and, and move. And what should we be all be looking out for? Hmm, well,
1: I think we're pretty excited about expanding that the fourth location is a new concept, uh, we call it Pollyanna and it's really to um, showcase our spirits and cocktail program, or really our spirits uh, production. Uh, so I would say, you know, that's a model that I'm, I'm personally very excited about. It's different It pivots from what we've done for more or less a cocktail lounge, but in a, a very specific and ex- interesting, exciting way. Um, so yeah, stay tuned for that. That's uh, step one. But yeah, we, we're dreamers. Uh, so there's there's all types of ideas out there, Russ. So I, that one's probably most front and center. But uh, stay tuned. We're going to continue to dream and do dreamers and doers. That's that's what we try to try to be.
2: Yeah, I'm, my goal is for Pollyanna to be a, a household name. So that's you know that's something that could take eight more years. It could take 20 more years, who knows, but that's, uh, that's at the forefront of my mind. Um, I also am really looking forward to seeing where our spirits program goes. We're making, Ed can briefly talk about that, but we're making a lot of whiskey right now and we can't try it for a few years. So, you know, that's a, that's another part of the business that, you know, we haven't really even seen take off or even had the chance to do anything for it because we got to wait for it to be ready. And then I think someday we'll probably make coffee.
0: <laughs> and I do want to uh, just, again, real quick, and I keep on extending this, but I'm very interested. Well, that has to be very interesting to put a lot of work into it, into something, and then literally have to wait, like be patient beyond belief. Is that true? Is that frustrating? What is that? I would not have the patience, is all I'm saying. <laughs>
3: Well, yeah, it, it is frustrating, you know. I'm mean, particularly coming from a beer background. You know, at, it, it, the most we had to wait was maybe a handful of months uh, if we were to take some beer and put it in a barrel and age it in a previously used bourbon barrel. And you know, it, maybe it's in there for eight, nine, ten months. And Now we're talking about years, you know. So it, it, and the thing is, you know, a lot of what we're doing is is the we're doing the best we can, but we don't know what the results are going to be like for another two or three years, so it's not like you can say, "Oh, all right, I'm going to make a little adjustment." We're going to find out how that adjustment went. but you you can do it, but you got to wait another two or three years. So, uh, as, as Ryan said, you know, we are cranking out a lot of bourbon right now, and we're doing a, some playing around with some variables with our bourbon, so that you know, in in maybe a couple of years, we're going to be able to. Uh, to test uh, how those little experiments went and we'll have a probably a, a greater direction of where we want to go with our bourbon but that's just bourbon you know somebody else asked a question i see off in the uh, the chat section about rye rye being tricky well rye is definitely something we want to do it's The tricky thing about rye and i don't want to get too too deep in the thing the tricky thing about rye is when you put it in a mash tun it's a big vessel right where you get where you convert your uh, starches to sugars rye can uh if you don't have enough enzymes in there it can get really hard like turn like concrete that's pretty tricky because that's hard to clean out of a mash i'm not sure if that's the trickiness that they were referring to but beyond that rye is very much a a lot like like bourbon anyway it, it all goes into a barrel and you gotta wait again two to three years or whatever but yeah but there are things that we can turn pretty quick to i mean we we make gin we can turn where I think we're all pretty happy with our gin, we can turn that within a matter of days. Um, Same thing with our vodka, um, our rum. You know, rum can easily be turned in a couple of weeks. So there's a lot of things that we are producing, um, you know, that we can kind of tweak and play with and get some instant, almost instant results. But yeah, anything barrel aged, man, that's years. It's it's hard.
0: Well, Ryan, Brian, Ed, uh, th- this has been uh, a truly fruitful conversation. I I thank you all for your time and and sharing your expertise with us. Uh, For everyone who's been joining us today and listening, thank you all so much for being here on The Gateway. Again, feel free to subscribe to our podcast. This will be released very soon. We're we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere those things are found. Biagio, my friend, as always, thank you for for helping me through this stuff and everyone else. Thank you so much and, and have a great night.